This is Van Color. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, in the third installment of Returning Favorites this month, I am joined by a registered dietitian in both Canada and the United States, having completed her master's degree in clinical nutrition at New York University and her clinical training at Mount Sinai Medical Center in Manhattan. Her beautifully curated Instagram is dedicated to showing you how simple ingredients used in creative ways can indeed make healthy eating accessible and delicious. You can find her informative website, Walder Wellness, to enjoy a wealth of accessible knowledge on nutrition. She was on the podcast in episode 22. It still holds up as a treasure of information on nutrition. So check that out when you get a chance. But she's back to teach me all about gut health. She is Carrie Walder. Carrie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing so well. And it's nice to see you. You too. I can't believe it's been a whole year. A whole year. Like almost exactly. We're at the end of the decade. No. <laughs> <laughs> Time flies. I know. It really does. It's crazy. Well, I've been meaning to get you back in studio because when I first listened back to our episode together, I realized that I was super obnoxious on the subject of kombucha. <laughs> I clearly conveyed how much I loved kombucha, but I felt like I should learn a little bit more about one of the key benefits of kombucha, which is probiotics and how it's good for your gut health. So I appreciate you being here. I'm excited to learn about this stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me back. When we talk about gut health, what exactly are we talking about? Because right. gut just means stomach. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, it's actually referring more to our intestinal tract, okay. more so than the stomach. But really what we're talking about is the gut microbiome and this uh, basically the community of microbes that live in our gut. Um, as I mentioned, most of them do actually reside in our large intestine, um, also known as the colon. Mm -hmm. um, basically, it's estimated that we have about 100 trillion of these microorganisms in our gut, Wait, which is a lot. Um, so we're thought to be more microbial than we are human. And are they all the same? <laughs> no. Okay. So we'll get into that for sure. sure. Um, there's, I want to say, like they've identified like 50 at least like there's a lot of different microbes. It's not just bacteria. There's like yeasts and fungi and that kind of stuff in there too. But primarily we are talking about bacteria. Um, and I think typically when we think about bacteria, we think of like something negative and like disease causing. Sure. Um, but in fact, most of the bacteria that live in our gut like are actually really healthy and we have what's called a symbiotic relationship with them in that when we, you know, feed them well, we give them a nice place to live, we keep them nice and cozy, then they're going to take care of us in return. I just um, love how you're describing. I mean, these these are living organisms. They are. They're all alive. Yeah. They're little wow. microorganisms, basically. And they have basically their own world. They have their own world in in our, inside <laughs> of us. Um, but research is really showing that they can influence so many different things in our health, which I'm sure we'll get into. Sure. So the gut biome itself exists entirely in the intestines. Um, I mean, they'll be through. I mean, we have microbes all over our body, okay. but uh, the majority of them in our gut reside in our intestines. But yeah, I mean, we have like skin microbiome as well, which I don't know anything about, but 
Uh, yeah. It's sure. Just, we'll stick yeah, to the gut. We'll stick to the gut. <laughs> now, this seems like a fairly new idea, at least one that's being talked about in the public consciousness. How long have people been looking at the gut biome as as you've just described it? Right. Well, it, you're right. It has really been pretty recent. I would say in the last like decade to 15 years is when the science is kind of... That's it. Yeah. Starting wow. to, I mean, obviously, we've been looking at like microbes and all that for longer. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of its impact on our health overall, a lot of it is just kind of really being studied now. And a lot of it is still really unknown. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's really in its infancy, the science, but it's really fascinating what we do know. Now, when we talk about this, effectively, this ecosystem, what is it affecting in our body? I mean, I assume because it's living in our intestines and our gut it is going to affect our digestion. But what is the overall effect of this very complex biome to the rest of our body and health? Right. So it's not even just our digestion, which I think we could think of, um, but it's really been linked to so many different conditions. So mental health disorders, diabetes, autoimmune conditions, um, skin conditions, our cognitive function, our mental health function. Mental health and skin. Yeah, it's all been linked. Um, wow. But I think an important thing to kind of mention um, as we're talking about this is a concept of diversity. So microbial <laughs> diversity, I think, <laughs> because this is kind of what comes up and what we're really looking at. Okay. So essentially, when it comes to our microbes, we want them to be diverse, meaning that we want a great amount of like different kinds of microbial species. We don't just want like one overpowering all of them. Right. <laughs> that sounds kind of crazy. Um, we want them more in balance. Um, on the flip side, when we have a less diverse mi microbiome, um, this is known as dysbiosis. And so the research, what it's finding is that having more diversity in our microbiome is protective against kind of all those diseases that I mentioned, whereas less diversity is linked to more of the disorders. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I know it's confusing, but it, it's a lot. Well, I guess what's interesting is that it kind of mirrors ecosystems that we see in our physical world, right? Yeah. Like we see diverse ecosystems as healthy mm -hmm. as opposed to ones that are more you know, one species or mm -hmm. one species dominated. I'm very curious about this connection to mental health, to things like skin. And we don't have to get into the the hard science. I'm just curious, have they found a correlation between gut health and healthy uh, mental wellness and skin stuff and all this other stuff? Or have they actually found like causation? So definitely not causation. Okay. <laughs> We're not there yet. Okay. We don't know what every, you know, that, that pathway between the microbe to the health condition. I, it's really hard to figure <laughs> out, as you can probably imagine. Yeah. Um, but they do see a correlation. So as I mentioned, um, that lower diversity has been found in patients with depression. Um, they've seen that our microbes actually produce neurotransmitters like GABA and dopamine and serotonin. And those they all produce those things. Yeah. So like wow. 90 percent, I think it's yeah, 90 percent of our serotonin is actually 
produced in the gut because serotonin also controls like peristalsis, which is like the movement of like our food down our digestive system. Okay. So really all those neurotransmitters can communicate to our brain through what's called the gut brain axis, which is just that communication system between our central nervous system, so our brain and spinal cord, and then our enteric nervous system, which are the nerves that cover our GI tract. So there is like a huge link there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really interesting. There's actually a book, if you're interested in this topic, called, uh, I think it's called The Psychobiotic Revolution. It's all about mental health disorders and the gut. So with correlation, have they also shown that someone who's been able to improve their gut health has improved their mental wellness as well? I'm not familiar with that research, but um, possibly. Okay. Yeah. How do you know if you have good or bad gut health? Like, is there a test? Are doctors equipped and able to advise you on whether you have excellent or poor gut health? What do you? How do you find out? Right. Um, so. I think, I don't know if you're familiar with all those like microbiome tests on the market. I am familiar with none of this. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, good because they're not like super reliable. Okay. Um, but as you said, like it is such a popular area of research. So, of course, there are companies out there trying to capitalize on this. Mm-hmm. So, there are different uh, testing kits that are available that you basically send in like a sample of your stool and they'll test it and identify different strains of bacteria that they find in there. Mm-hmm. But it's probably not worth your money at this point in time because we don't really know what each bacteria means or does or what the composition really, really means. Um, So at the moment, we don't really have tests to look at the diversity of our microbiome. In the research, it's more of them just like doing the stool samples and seeing like the diversity in there or the lack thereof. Um, So, yeah, there aren't really tests to look at that in like the healthy population exactly. Really? Okay. As I said, it's a really new area of research. Um, What doctors can test for is like bacterial overgrowth. So something like SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. (laughs) Um, That could be tested with like a breath test. Um, But really you only get that done if you're you're having a lot of digestive symptoms. You're not just going to like go to your doctor and they won't do that. Right. <laughs> not yet, at least. Yeah. And to be clear, you're not endorsing the test where you have to mail your poop. <laughs> you're not endorsing that. No, not, not at good. the moment. Okay. I mean, who knows? Like, maybe in the future, I'm sure we'll actually understand everything way more. And maybe those will become options. But at the moment, we don't really know what to do with the information that they're giving us. Yeah. So I had an idea that on the consumer level, there wasn't much you can do on your own. And now you're saying that even with healthy populations, it's it's tough to determine. How do we know anything about gut health if the tests we have are unreliable? And then also in terms of what we identified in the biome has is still limited and still counting like how right we're still learning that's the thing like we're really still learning. And mm-hmm. so like all those, I guess, like gimmicky things out there, like our gimmicks <laughs> essentially yeah. um but in terms of like your own gut health i mean you can you know if you have like really irregular digestion if you're having like really painful chronic bloating or diarrhea or constipation mm-hmm. and all that um that can indicate that something's going wrong not necessarily with your microbiome but more like 
at a functional level, like if you have IBS or like mm-hmm. Crohn's or, I mean, there's so much to this space, but if you're asking specifically about the microbes, <laughs> um, there aren't too many tests out there, no. Right. So it almost sounds like you'd be monitoring the symptoms of a unhealthy gut as opposed to knowing yeah, I guess. What, what it's and, like, right? Yeah, and just, I think, for again, for the general healthy population, just doing what you can to uh, that to maintain that gut health, mm-hmm. um, even if we're not, like, proving and, like, sampling <laughs> and <laughs> analyzing everything. But just, um, it really comes down to, like, diet, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, well, let's um, get into that yeah. right now. So when we're talking about diet and, and foods that are good for gut health, what kind of foods are we looking at? And are they currently staples of the general North American diet? Um, I mean, they should be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're not like fancy foods. Like you can Mm -hmm. definitely get them in just regular foods. So the number one thing that I would suggest is dietary fiber. Mm -hmm. So basically fiber is just long chains of carbohydrates that humans don't have the digestive enzyme to break down. Mm -hmm. So that fiber is going to travel undigested undigested through our digestive system and it's going to reach our large intestine where those bacteria then can feed on it. Oh, so okay. I think last time we might have talked about prebiotics. So like this is kind of that concept where okay. these fibers feed those probiotic bacteria that live in our gut. Um, and then those bacteria, when they ferment those fibers, they produce what's called short chain fatty acids as a byproduct. And it's those short chain fatty acids that seem to have a lot of the beneficial effects in our health. Sure. <laughs> um, so, but back to the food. So, fiber okay. is really important. We got that one. <laughs> um, so, fiber is found only in plant foods. So, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, mm-hmm. uh, beans, legumes, uh, nuts, and seeds. Those are all sources of fiber. Sure. So, lots of that. Um, another, other good sources of foods are your probiotic-rich foods. So, things mm-hmm. like fermented foods, like um, kimchi. Uh, Yogurt, kefir, mm-hmm. miso, tempeh, those are all really good sources of um, the bacteria themselves. Okay. Right, because they're fermented, so they have those live cultures in them right. to ferment the food. Um, hmm. Other foods are ones that are rich in omega-3s, so your fatty fish, um, like chia seeds, flax seeds, walnuts, those are all um, shown to help promote that microbial diversity as well. Um, and then antioxidant-rich foods are also really beneficial. So again, your fruits and vegetables. <laughs> sure. So this sounds like all healthy food anyways. Yes. Right? <laughs> it does. Yeah. And I almost can predict the answer for this, but then what foods are bad for your gut? Um, yeah, you're probably predicting it accurately. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of the foods that aren't so great for us are also not so great for our gut health. And maybe that's kind of the link there. Maybe mm-hmm. that's why they're not so great for us. Um, so again, it's those really overly processed foods. So any like really processed foods are going to be stripped of those fibers. So you're not right. going to have them. Um Artificial sweeteners have also been shown to not be really good for your gut. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So Obviously, we don't want a ton of sugar, but we also don't want to necessarily be swapping those sugars with artificial sweeteners Sure, yeah. Um, But in general, I don't like to villainize any one food because we don't just eat one food, hopefully. (laughs) So I think so long as you're getting in lots of plant foods and lots of those fibers, then you're going to be okay. 
<laughs> so when we talk about the simple sugars, and I presume alcohol too is probably not good for oh, your yeah, gut. Oh yeah, that's, that's <laughs> not great either. <laughs> I would have just assumed that this stuff just passes through your system. What is it doing to your gut biome that's so unhealthy? Um, it seems that possibly the sugars are feeding the the more pathogenic and bad gut bacteria. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> the, but, it's like vices feeding vices. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay. Um, but it's more like what they're not doing, right? So those overly processed foods, like they're not helping the bacteria, the good bacteria thrive. They're not feeding the good bacteria. Right. Okay. So that good bacteria isn't able to proliferate and grow and thrive and all that. So it's more of what they're not doing, I guess. Sure, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, because if it is a living organism, then presumably <laughs> you have to keep feeding it proper food, just as you would any living organism. Right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, I, I'm waiting to ask this question. What about kombucha? Is it the best probiotic? Is it the elixir of life? Is it the thing that's going to fix your gut and change your life? Uh, no, <laughs> not on its own. Um, sure. Again, no food or beverage is going to work in isolation. Um, mm -hmm. It's not bad for you. Yes, it is a source of those um, bacteria in there, mm -hmm. um, but it's not going to be a miracle worker on its own, unfortunately. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Maybe not a miracle worker, but based on one serving in a bottle. Is that a decent dose of probiotics or are you better off eating a cup of Greek yogurt or kimchi or something else that's that's food, I suppose? Yeah, I would say there's more research to support like Greek yogurt and like kefir, which is like a fermented yogurt mm -hmm. drink, um, more so than kombucha. I think kombucha, I don't know if it has a ton of research on <laughs> it necessarily. Um, and also kombucha can also be quite high in sugar as right. well, which, as we said, is not the best. Yeah. Um, See, this is my nightmare scenario to find out that there is no benefit to kombucha. I wouldn't say that there's none. I just don't think that you can rely on it on its own. Mm -hmm. And I think um, because we have like all the... We want diversity. We want to have a diverse number of different foods. Mm -hmm. I don't think I said this, but all those different bacteria, they're going to feed on different types of fibers. So we want to try to get in right. different types of food to feed all those different bacteria. So if mm -hmm. we're only drinking kombucha and doing nothing else, <laughs> it maybe is only going to feed that one bacteria. I mean, I obviously don't know that. Um, but studies really show that if we can eat, like uh, people who eat at least 30 different types of plants per week are more likely to have diverse microbiomes versus people who eat less than 10. So 30 plants? It oh. sounds crazy, but it's <laughs> sounds really, like a lot. but it's not. That includes every fruit, every vegetable, every whole grain, every nut, every seed. You can easily okay, get yeah. in like five different ones, like at breakfast, right? Sure. <laughs> I'm going to count that, actually. That's an interesting idea of how many different types of plants you eat. It's a good goal. Yeah, and it's it, a great goal. It sounds harder than it is, but you could really easily just swap out your grains every week. Like one one day have quinoa, one day have millet, one day have rice. Those are three different kinds of plants right there. And I got to hit 30. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start counting and see where I'm at. And then... Yeah, maybe I'll have to swap some stuff out or get more diverse with yeah. my food intake. I'm, sh I'm sure you're higher than you think. 
Yeah, it just sounds like a lot. It, is, it does, <laughs> but I think you could do it almost in a whole in a day. <laughs> Are there some diets, quote unquote, that yield better gut health outcomes? And when I say diets. I know they're going to come back to me and say, well, a balanced diet is the best <laughs> diet. But you know that there's diets out there like keto or intermittent fasting and, and different types of things. Is, is one of these diets better suited for better health outcomes with regards to gut health? Right. I don't think there is any one diet that does um, that that shows better gut health outcomes. Mm-hmm. I think so long as you are getting in a lot of those plants. Um, that's going to be your best bet. Mm-hmm. This doesn't mean you need to be vegan. You can very easily eat 30 plants a week while also including some <laughs> animal products. Um, but you do mention keto. I, I'm i wary about really low-carb diets when it comes to gut health um, just because those fibers are carbohydrates, right? So if you're right. cutting out all these carbs, you're cutting out all these fibers and... Sure, you might lose weight initially, but what are the long-term effects on your microbiome? We don't really know. Does Um, fat have any effect on your biome? Because it it seems to be the one thing you haven't really touched yet. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Um, Yeah, I haven't really touched on that. Um, So with the low-carb diets, I just worry that you're not getting in enough of those fibers. Okay. you can do keto healthfully, like, but it's hard. It's hard to get in <laughs> enough fiber on a keto diet. Is that true? It's I've tough. never done keto, so it's I don't tough. know. Yeah. I haven't done it either. <laughs> I don't think I ever will because <laughs> I love carbs. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, and then in terms of intermittent fasting, that's another popular one. Yes. It usually um, goes hand in hand with keto. They do tend to go hand in hand. Um, so there is some evidence to show that intermittent fasting can be beneficial to improve digestive function. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something called the migrating motor complex, which is basically just these periodic contractions of your digestive tract to clear out any undigested stuff that's still in there. Um, and this right. only happens when you are fasting. But this doesn't mean you need to go on crazy long fast or like not eat all day. Um, it can, you know, really be achieved by not grazing constantly or just, mm. you know, going those 12 hours overnight without eating. Um, but in terms of IF, it still is going to be important what you're eating in those windows. Right? Sure. You can't just like do IF and not eat well in the middle and expect (laughs) your gut health to be amazing. So yeah, again, there's not like one diet. Sure. So I just did a month of veganism in November. And I know you said that, you know, you don't need veganism or vegetarianism to have optimal health outcomes for your gut. But does that diet lend itself to better health outcomes? Because if you are just eating a plant-based diet, it sounds like that would be good, at least for promoting the diversity in your gut health. For sure. I think if you do a vegan diet properly, you can definitely have good gut health outcomes. Now you have to define properly, though. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think a lot of like junk foods can be vegan. Oh, like yeah, chips 100%. are vegan. What do they say? Oreos are vegan. <laughs> like, <laughs> so if you're only eating that kind of stuff, then of course it's not going to result in those health benefits. But if you are eating a really balanced vegan diet, then 100%. Sure. Are there any other activities or lifestyle choices that are associated with good gut health? 
Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of other things that can affect the gut, not just food. Um, Stress is a huge one. Um, So stress has been shown to lower our immune response, and a lot of our immune system is actually located in the gut, and Mm -hmm. this can kind of um, affect that protective barrier function that our gut has. There's actually been a lot of studies looking, or not a lot, but there are studies that look at mindfulness-based therapies, so like meditation and yoga, and they've seen that that can really have positive outcomes in digestive disorders like IBS. Oh, really? Interesting. So stress is a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, Other lifestyle stuff, I think we touched on uh, alcohol. (laughs) Alcohol is not, I mean, in in excess, it's not great for our gut. Um, Neither are like... Um, like heartburn medications can negatively affect it. Um, hmm. Antibiotics also can negatively affect our gut. So obviously I'm not saying don't ever take them because they <laughs> save our lives, but the overuse of them, like really they're designed to kill disease-causing bacteria, but they're mm-hmm. not selective. So they basically wipe out all our bacteria, so all our healthy bacteria. Right. Um, so that can be really related to that. Um, as well. And sort of touching back on to the the vegan stuff, if there's antibiotics in our meat, do we absorb that as well? Right. That's definitely an area of concern or like question. I don't think there's research on that specifically, but Mm -hmm. definitely something to keep in mind. Um, I don't think it'll be the same impact that like taking a round of antibiotics would be, right? Sure. I feel like that is a much more aggressive course of antibiotics versus what might be in meat. Yeah, fair Mm. enough. And again, when we're talking about lifestyle choices, it sounds eerily similar to just general health. Like you're talking about stress, which I would assume includes sleep as Mm. well. Yeah, for sure. And exercise is also really helpful there. Right. And then we're talking about, you know, not drinking to excess and (laughs) And, and good lifestyle choices in general. So, again, there seems to be that mirror between your general health and your your gut health, effectively, right? Totally, totally. You did touch on this idea of antibiotics, and I was wondering if you could just define this for me. Like, there's antibiotics, there's prebiotics, there's probiotics. Can you separate these three things out for me? Sure. There's also postbiotics. Let's uh, four things. Postbiotics. I haven't even <laughs> heard of that that's a one. New one. <laughs> um, okay, so antibiotics, basically those are like I said, those chemicals that kill all bacteria. Mm-hmm. So the good and the bad. Um, they're of course life saving, um, but they're more broad spectrum, so they're gonna wipe out everything. <laughs> right. Um, prebiotics, so those are those foods for the probiotic. Maybe I should go the other way around. Probiotics are the live microbes. Um, so when we uh, take them in sufficient quantities, they confer um, different health benefits. So some probiotics are like lactobacillus or bifidobacteria. Those are kind of common ones that you might have heard of. Sure. Um, you might. So see these them. are the living. These are the bacteria. living microbes. Okay. Yeah. And so the prebiotics are the foods for those probiotics. <laughs> so prebiotic you can think of as the fermentable fibers. So those ones that we don't digest that Mm -hmm. are probiotic or that the bacteria in our guts feed on um, and then they release those gases which are the byproducts um, so those short chain fatty acids okay those are the postbiotics (laughs) 
The gases? Um, so like the short chain fatty acids. So basically, postbiotics are the metabolic byproducts that are produced when the probiotic bacteria feed on the prebiotic bacteria. And those byproducts are what is, seems to confer the health benefits. Uh, yeah, I know. It sounds you to, complicated. You have to explain. Sorry. And you have to maybe slow it down or, or break it down for me. So what exactly are postbiotics? So you have the probiotics eating the prebiotics and and where does the postbiotics fit in again so when okay <laughs> when the bacteria feeds on the prebiotics yeah. so basically they ferment those fibers okay and a byproduct of fermentation is the formation of these short chain fatty acids okay which are considered the postbiotics um is it's that not, waste human waste or it's not human waste it's but I guess kind of it's like metabolic waste, but I don't really think of it as waste because it's something that appears to be used. So those short chain fatty acids seem to be the primary source of fuel for our intestinal lining. So it really keeps oh, our, okay. our, our tract kind of you know repaired and maintained. And it seems that these short chain fatty acids are what actually travel through our body and reach our various systems and communicate in some way, shape, or form that we don't quite understand. <laughs> um, so these postbiotics are not things that you need to take. Okay. It's kind of the byproduct of eating those prebiotic fibers. Right. And then the good bacteria feed on them, and then they create these postbiotics from that process. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? No, it does. It absolutely <laughs> okay. does. Now now I sort of understand you had to add in a few more players uh, totally. in, the, in this biological system yeah. for me to get it. It's complex. <laughs> the bacteria that are in our gut, is that just bacteria that we've built up over time from eating certain things? Or are we born with that bacteria? Does it just find itself in our gut? Right. <laughs> um, so we, our first kind of like introduction to bacteria is at birth. So um, they're looking, there's science that looks at children born vaginally versus C-section. Mm -hmm. So a C-section birth is very sterile versus a vaginal birth. Like you're introduced to your mother's bacteria essentially. Right. Yeah. And then same with breastfeeding. So in breastfeeding, you're introduced to bacteria as well mm -hmm. versus in a formula that's not really in there. Um, so really it kind of starts at birth. Right. And it kind of just, it, it changes with time depending on what we're eating. Um, maybe we did a round of antibiotics and it wiped it all out. Mm -hmm. It's constantly changing, which is a good thing. It means that we can change it. So yeah. we can do things like work on our diet and work on our stress management and all that to promote a healthy microbiome, mm -hmm. essentially. And I guess maybe this goes without saying, but with things like antibiotics or poor health, you could kill a lot of the bacteria as well. Totally. You could kill and regenerate yeah. this bacteria. Okay. Obviously, as we've sort of touched on, this is a very hot area in health and wellness. And I've seen all sorts of probiotic supplements on the market. And some I've seen in the refrigerator, some I've seen not in the refrigerator. They're just pills. Are these useful? Are they worth the money? Is there evidence to show that they do produce positive health outcomes for your gut? Right. So, again, it's because it's such a new area of research, we don't have all the answers yet. So, there are so many different strains of bacteria that we don't 
know exactly what every strain does and in what amounts <laughs> every strain needs to be in to have those health benefits. So there's definitely research and it's it's promising. And there are certain conditions that have more supportive research. So mm-hmm. if you are taking a round of antibiotics and you have like antibiotic associated diarrhea, which is like really common, mm-hmm. um, there are probiotics that have been researched specifically for that population or condition and have been shown to have a benefit. Um, But across the board, there isn't a ton of evidence to say that the general healthy population absolutely has to be taking these probiotics. Right. Um, So, yeah, there are... There are certain companies that have done their research, and I think if it is something that you are interested in, it's worth looking into that research just to make sure because the supplement industry is kind of like the Wild West and it's not super well regulated. Um, So there is a website called, um, oh my gosh, what's the, it's called probioticchart.ca, the Canadian site. If you have U.S. listeners, there's usprobioticguide.com. So that one, those sites really break down which companies have done the research um, in human populations. And it'll show you like what, um, I guess, condition they've seen a benefit for. Right. Yeah. So again, it's not something that I think everyone needs to go run and like spend all their money on probiotics just yet. Um, <laughs> there's mo- a lot of people doing that though. hundred percent. There's yeah. And the supplement <laughs> industry is a multi-billion dollar industry or yeah. however much. Um, but most, I think researchers can agree that the best bet right now that we know of is working on diet. Sure. What if you do have, let's say, a heavy round of antibiotics? Mm-hmm. And I've certainly had a heavy antibiotics where I kind of feel foggy for a little while. Like I've, I might be healthy in terms of... Yeah, the thing was gone. <laughs> yeah, shaking <laughs> yeah. off whatever was ailing me. But then it takes me a few days or sometimes maybe even a week to like really recover or feel normal again. What should someone do in terms of looking at probiotics? Do you know the specific type of probiotic they should be looking at? or uh, Off the top of my head, no. Again, I would recommend going to that the website that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be really helpful. I know that that is a certain situation where I definitely would recommend someone take antibiotics. Mm-hmm. The reason I don't know off the top of my head is because I, I don't work clinically. Sure. So no, I, fair enough. I haven't <laughs> to recommend it. Um, I know... A good one is like VSL three. I think is a very well researched one, and mm-hmm. I think um, BioK is a pretty good brand. Okay, um, that one you can see in the in most stores here in Vancouver. And what about this thing about some of them being refrigerated and some of them not being refrigerated? Does it matter? Um, I think you asked me this last time. <laughs> you stumped me. <laughs> um, so. It doesn't matter. Certain ones are made differently, I guess. So the ones that are in the refrigerator, um, keep them there. They're sensitive to heat um, and moisture. But the ones that are not refrigerated, they have actually been freeze dried. And then they're stored in like those blister packs to prevent the moisture from getting in. So when you take those, like you have to take them like right when you pop it out of the back. Like don't just like put it in your pill case for the week and travel with it. And (laughs) sure. Yeah. So So they've been freeze dried, but those probiotics come to life. Apparently. That's the thinking and (laughs) that's the thinking. Yeah. And so I I don't think one is necessarily better than the other, but Mm -hmm. the ones the ones that are meant to be in the fridge should stay in the fridge. Sure. And I think if in doubt, put it in the fridge. Yeah. (laughs) And we sort of touched on this 
a little earlier, but if you are worried about your gut health, what's the first thing that you should do? Or is there a checklist that maybe you should think about in right. trying to assess your situation? Um, I think I'm, I think I mentioned, but I think just looking at like any symptoms that you might be having. Mm -hmm. So if you're having really chronic digestive issues, um, that could be a sign that you should go to a gastroenterologist or a dietitian who specializes in um, GI disorders. Mm -hmm. um, but no, there's no like checklist per se. Okay. Um, yeah, it's more if things are kind of abnormal for a long period of time, it could mean that something is up. Um, it also could show in different ways. So like if you're not, um, if you're, you know, your gut is affected, you might not be digesting or absorbing your nutrients from, from your food properly. Right. So that can lead to um, like low energy levels. It could lead to unintentional weight loss. Um, it can lead to like skin conditions. Mm -hmm. All those are signs, but they're they're not like specific signs, right? Those are signs of so many different things. <laughs> right, yeah. So it's hard to pinpoint. So definitely if something is up um, in the digestive area, but I don't think we have to stress too much, like a little bit of bloating, like that's completely normal. <laughs> like we're not meant to have completely flat stomachs all day long. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think it's more if it's like a really chronic thing and it's really bothering you, that's when you should go to a professional. When it comes to gut health, probiotics, this whole area, are there things that we should be wary of? And I'm specifically speaking to some of the stuff that we've already covered in terms of supplements or people trying to sell you things. Obviously, this is a popular health trend. Is there something that you're seeing in the market or in the, even in the marketplace of ideas with regards to gut health that you just want to say, okay, we don't know this for sure, or maybe don't spend all this money thinking you're curing yourself? Right. I mean, as I said, I think there's a lot of gimmicky stuff out there because the claims are so exciting, right? Like we're, <laughs> we're reading, oh, gut health has effects on our mental health, on our weight, on this, on that. And it seems to be like this cure-all kind of thing. Yeah. So... I mean, I've seen like probiotic waters. I've seen like probiotic granolas and granola bars and all that. And <laughs> probiotic water? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> um, so yeah, you don't have to buy all these products okay. in order to have a healthy gut. It can really, I know it sounds boring, but it is kind of that bringing it back to basics and looking at your diet. It's not to say that a probiotic uh, cereal or whatever isn't, is bad for you per se, but mm -hmm. we don't know if those probiotics are going to actually reach our gut and survive that digestive tract, right? So yeah. um, that's one thing to be mindful of, just like any really sensationalized claims like that. Um, and one thing I did want to mention was that even though these foods that I'm saying are are beneficial for our gut health. If you do have something like IBS, these foods can actually be really triggering of your symptoms. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So really high fiber foods, you know, the bacteria, they ferment them. And mm -hmm. part of that fermentation process is like, is gas production. And that's completely normal and healthy for most people. It just passes. Sure. Yeah. But in the IBS population or with certain other um, gut disorders, that 
that stomach uh, distension and stretching and stuff can actually really trigger the symptoms because they Mm. have like a very sensitized um, gut. So if you do have IBS or something like that, like it's best to work with a professional with that and really pinpoint what are foods that trigger your symptoms. Yeah. Um, So there is something called the low FODMAP diet, which really is actually quite low in a lot of these um, healthy fiber rich foods that I'm talking about. It's not meant to be followed forever. It's meant to be kind of like an elimination and reintroduction diet to Mm. see which ones work for you. Because as we're talking about, they do have a ton of health benefits, which have to make sure that it's right for that population of people. Yeah. So I think, I don't know. I feel like that's just something to warn people about because if you have IBS and you're like, okay, this is good for my gut health and then you eat all this stuff and you feel even worse, I don't want people to go and do that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm still shocked that people are trying to sell probiotic water. (laughs) I can't get over that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I think so. I don't think I'm making it up. Like, I swear (laughs) I've seen it somewhere. (laughs) I don't know the brand name, but... I wouldn't be surprised. It sounds like something that they would... I mean, they were selling vitamin water. You, I wouldn't be surprised with anything that they're selling (laughs) these days. There's, It's crazy. Just to talk about things on a general level, when we are looking at nutrition... Obviously, this is your field. You're in tune. You got the ear to the ground to see what's happening and where the trends are. Are there any emerging health or nutrition trends heading into 2020 that you think really need a debunking or perhaps more caution when approaching them? Um, I mean, I feel like since we last talked, it's kind of been the same stuff that I've been seeing. I've been seeing it's still a lot of keto. Yeah, it's still a lot of intermittent fasting. Um, Again, those those diets aren't necessarily bad. Like there are certain possible benefits that the research has shown, but Mm -hmm. I don't think they're, they're for everyone. And I just think with any diet, if if it doesn't feel right to you, like if fasting for 18 hours makes you feel horrible. Yeah. That's not helpful. <laughs> that's not healthy. Um, but in terms of new dietary trends, I haven't seen too many pop up. I know like celery juice was kind of a crazy one. I don't, I don't even know. Oh, really? <laughs> you haven't heard of that? No, no. Oh, wow. That was it like. It sounds a... like something I would fall for, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a huge trend. I think the, the price of celery like skyrocketed because everyone was like just buying all this celery to juice <laughs> Um, wow. It's been touted as like this miracle drink from someone called the medical medium who <laughs> receives his medical advice from like a spirit or something. Oh, so, this I would definitely yeah. fall for <laughs> no, 100%. No, you know you wouldn't. Um, not to say that it's bad for you. Of course, like there's nothing wrong with celery juice, but it's not going to cure every ailment that you have. Yeah. Um, I think anything that really... Uh, says that it'll cure everything is something to (laughs) look out for. It's a good thing I hate celery. That's like the only (laughs) green that I can't stand. Even if it's like ants on a log, I'm just not down with celery. So I wouldn't have fallen for that. But everything else in terms of him getting mystical consciousness (laughs) conveyed through him for this juice, I would have definitely fallen for that. For sure. (laughs) So you're saying that doesn't work. It's it's not going to be a miracle cure. <laughs> Again, celery in and of itself is full of fiber and it's full of vitamins and all mm-hmm. that. So it's it's healthy, but you can get those same health benefits from 
like kale or any other sure yeah green yeah touching on intermittent fasting we have talked about how it can have some health benefits is there a point where it becomes too much like you shouldn't fast for x hours or x days or whatever like cuz you're a nutritionist dietitian mm-hmm. effectively so you know certain cycles of when you need food how long should the maximum fast be? I don't think there is a specific number. I think it's really going to vary on the person. So some people are going to be able to do it a lot longer and feel okay, whereas sure. some people will like go insane <laughs> after like 12 hours. Right. I think a safe approach is a 12 to 14 hour. I think that is a reasonable way to do it. If you really want to do it, it's not hard to stop eating at like 8 p.m. and then start eating at 8 Mm -hmm. a.m. That's because we're sleeping, (laughs) most of us. Um, So that's not too bad. Um, For women, though, I would not go that much over a 14 hour fast. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the research is in men and women are just a lot more sensitive to changes. in diet and in our hormones and all that, just because, you know, we're designed to create children. Sure. Um, And if we're starving ourselves, essentially, like our body is going to know that that's not like a safe place to grow a baby. Um, So it can really affect women's hormones quite negatively if you go really prolonged. So that's something that I would be wary of. Yeah. No, Mm -hmm. I think that sounds like good advice. I've only done the 12 hour. I have done a 24 hour before. How was that? It was fine. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You need to get that heavy sleep in, though. You need to get at least an eight hour sleep Mm -hmm. in that fast to make it work. But I had a friend that did a seven day fast. (laughs) And I don't know how they survived. I think it was very minimal. I think they were having some sugars or nutrition. They were having something, but certainly no solid foods, no foods. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know. They they said by day three they were in a zone, but I <laughs> that zone might made it may have been uh, starvation. So I don't know yeah. if that was necessarily healthy. I, I would not recommend that. Yeah, no, you're you're really depriving yourself, and I don't recommend anything that makes you feel like you're restricting yourself. Right? Like mm. if if a twelve hour fast comes really naturally to you, then that's fine. But if you're like waking up and you're so hungry and you can't focus at work and you can't go to your workout like that's again it's not helpful sure. and intermittent fasting isn't the only healthy way to eat yeah or not eat <laughs> <laughs> i want to talk about your website before we shut it down here still a beautiful instagram page even more of a beautiful website now and you've just focused on the the blogging side of your business effectively yeah so what do you what are you doing now you're are you global you're local <laughs> How do how do people get a hold of you? Who are you accessible to at this point? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the last time we talked, I was just kind of starting the actual business. Like I had mm-hmm. built up the blog and all that. And I thought that I was going to take more private clients and yeah. I started doing that. But the blog side of things just kind of took off and I just like really didn't have the time to do both. And okay. I feel like through the blog and all that, you can reach so many more people mm-hmm. um, for the same amount of work. Like you can just reach and change and help so many other people. Um, so, yeah, am I global? I mean, yeah, yes, there, <laughs> there are global readers, but primarily it's like North America. Um, How often do you update site? your blog? 
Um, I try to post at least twice a week. Okay. Um, new recipes or like a nutrition post on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to work really hard on the blog just because Instagram is <laughs> going through a lot of changes right now and I don't own the platform. So right. you know, I own yeah. my website and I have a lot more control over there. Um, but yeah. your Instagram is still very popular. It's still, it still exists. Yeah. Yeah. I still work with brands on there and on the blog, but I am trying to pivot more to the blog just because Instagram has gone through so many changes. Um, and I would love to get more into video in the new year. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's kind of where things look like they're going. So yeah. I would love to do more like cooking videos because I think that's really helpful. Um, to kind of actually show the steps of making a recipe because yeah. I'm always like, this is so easy. <laughs> but maybe people don't believe me. And I think if you could actually show them that, that would be really Well, cool. now I can be envious of how your food looks beautiful throughout the cooking process, <laughs> not just the end result. I know, where mine never hard. looks like that. It's going to be hard, though, to like keep the cooking process looking clean and nice. Sure. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. but Yeah. So recipes, nutritional advice. Mm-hmm. And you have a newsletter as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm, it's There's so much to keep up on. Yeah. It's hard to do like the blog, the Instagram, the Pinterest, the newsletter, all. Oh, you're on Pin- Pinterest as well? Yeah, is Pinterest that a popular is a, platform is a for you? big traffic driver. Um, hmm. And also like working to optimize the SEO of all my blog posts. I've actually like hired cool. out a team for that. So wow. they've been really helpful. And where does everyone find it? On walterwellness.com or at walterwellness on Instagram. Um, Those are my main platforms. Cool. Well, I have to say, thank you so much for returning to the podcast. I feel like I've learned a lot about gut health. I have some things I can speak on when it comes to gut health. But also, as you've noted, there's still so much that we do not know and in this very new field. Totally. But I, I appreciate the straight talk and letting me know what we know so far about the gut. So thanks for coming here. No, thanks for having me back. My pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, she is a registered dietitian who is focused on evidence-based nutrition, and she just schooled me on gut health. She is the lovely Carrie Walder, and I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. <laughs>